Good morning. I speak to you this morning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to bring you greetings from the Church of Our Lord in Victoria, British Columbia, which is my home church on Vancouver Island. And before the service is over, uh, I'm going to take, get someone to take a photograph of me in these robes because I'm going to put it up on the screen next Sunday because they're not going to believe that I actually have these on. Because in the church that I, that I serve with, we do not wear this. My only prayer, as Michael was praying for me, was, Lord, please don't let me trip down the stairs over the ropes. Okay? Um, it is a joy and a privilege to be here, and it's always a privilege to be able to come and to share God's Word. In the old calendar, this Sunday is known as Passion Sunday. And this is the Sunday that reminds us that we're moving to the very serious part of Lent. We have two weeks left to Easter Sunday. And I always tell my people that you cannot get to Easter Sunday unless you're willing to go through Holy Week and Passion Week and to remember the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I can't come to church this Sunday and then come to church next Sunday and then show up on Easter Sunday and think that everything's the same. It isn't because in these next two weeks, what you should be reading about is the suffering and death and passion of what Christ went through to set us free. Now, during Lent, when Lent started in our church, and it probably did the same here, you came to church on Ash Wednesday and the priest anointed you in, in, with ashes and said, Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. And if Jesus tarries, that's what's going to happen to every single one of us. We are, we are all going to turn to dust. But the great news is the news of the resurrection. But in order for me to appreciate the resurrection, I've got to know what, it, what did it cost God to get us to the resurrection? Um, during Lent, we are meant to be a people of prayer. You realize that in this community, you are the salt of the earth? You are the light of the world? Remind me of your name again. Diane. Diane. Diane, people are looking at you. They saw you come into church this morning. They're going to be looking at you, watching your example. What's your name, sir? Leo. Leo? You know, people are looking at you. Okay. Is that okay? It is what it is. It is what it is. Okay. <laughs> It is what it is. I saw that in somebody's t-shirt yesterday. It is what it is. The truth of the matter is, is that we are the people of God. What sets us apart from our neighbors? You know, not just the fact that we get up on Sunday morning and come to church, but the fact that in the world that we live in, we are to be Christ. We are to be Christ to each other. We are to be Christ in everything that we do. When I go up to the gas station and I don't like the price of gas, I'm still required to be, to be Christ to the people that are serving me. You see... God came down to bring us into Christ and, and, and uh, to be made right with each other. Now, Diane and I have had a big fight. I hope you guys didn't know that, but I'm going to tell you. We had a big fight this morning. And what we're supposed to do during the season of Lent is to be reconciled with each other. You see, we can't keep going to that table without being reconciled with each other. That's what God calls us to do with each other. Sometimes people can sit in churches for years and years and years and never know who the other person is sitting beside them. 
or have a grudge against that person, but never, ever have reconciled themselves with that person. That's not how the body of Christ is meant to be. The body of Christ is meant to be, Diane, I am so sorry that I hurt you this morning. I really am. Would you forgive me? Yes. And don't do it again, Tommy. Okay? <laughs> because that's, what, that's basically what reconciliation means. Reconciliation means I want to be made right. You see, my example, my example of being made right is that Jesus came into the world. You remember he was baptized? As he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and his father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And that's a wonderful proclamation to receive. And then all of a sudden, the scripture tells us, according to the Greek language, he was driven. He didn't go into the desert. He was driven by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the evil one. And when he came out of the desert, he began his public ministry. And he sounded like John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because that's what John the Baptist was saying. The very same thing. He was calling people to repentance. He was calling them to a right relationship with God. And in these last two weeks of Lent, that's what the cry that you should be hearing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the good news. And to repent means, you know, sometimes we think, you know, the good news of the gospel is restricted to Christmas. It isn't. I mean, the great news of, the, of, of Jesus coming into the world is the incarnation, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is even a greater news. Why? Because death is not the end. It's, a, it's only the beginning. It's a doorway into another room. It's a start of a new life, a brand new life, and you're not going to be bored in heaven. If anyone tells you that you're going to be bored in heaven, they do not understand heaven. You're not going to sit on clouds all day long and play harps. Okay, I guarantee you. Okay, you have to understand what the scripture says about heaven. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Where do you think you're going to live? You're going to live on the new earth. You're going to reign with Christ. That's all part of it. Now, in a very few minutes, we're going to stand up, and as a church, we're going to proclaim, for us and for our salvation, he came down for heaven. What does it mean? Well, that's the incarnation. And the incarnation is that, what it tells me when I read that, he came down from heaven to restore us into right relationship with God. You see, Jesus has come as God's perfect sacrifice. He comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He tears down. You see, at one time, the only person allowed up in this area was the high priest. Michael was the only one. If Michael was the high priest, he was the only one allowed up here. And up here would be this great big curtain. You people wouldn't be allowed up here because you'd be struck dead. And what would happen is this great big curtain would be between the people and God, and all the people would be out there as far away, just like, just like Anglicans, as far, far to the back as we can get, okay? And, and obviously the Methodists too, okay? I don't know what it is about people not sitting up, up front row. Uh, listen, thank you for sitting up here. I appreciate you sitting up here beside me, okay? It gives me courage to keep going, Okay? Those people can't encourage me because they're, you know, on my back to them. But you, can, you encourage me, okay? Every once in a while, just throw me a high five. Okay? That okay? Okay, good. Okay? That's it. That's how we do it. For us and sal for our salvation. You see, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, becomes flesh.
And he comes to take the sin of the world upon himself. And what that means is it's incarnational. That's a big word. But incarnation means to enter into the world of the person who is suffering. If I know, for example, Diane, you're going to be my example this morning. If Diane, if I know that she is suffering, there's no point in me standing off here and saying, oh, Diane, I'm very, very sorry that you're suffering and turn around and walk away. Diane does not. Diane needs me to be God with skin on. That's what she needs, don't you? Yes. May I give you a hug? Yes. Don't you feel better when you hug somebody? Don't you feel better when you hug somebody? When someone comes alongside and touches you? You know one of the greatest problems we have in our world today? In our, in our world, we have a problem of community. We don't have communities anymore. Our communities are stuck in front of those stupid computers and Game Boys and everything else and iPhones and everything. We can't live without them. We've lost our sense of community. Our community is to be in relationship with each other, to be able to look each other in the eye. That's what community is about. God came from heaven to look us in the eye. That's why God came. He came to enter into this world and said, I'm going to teach you how to love each other as my father and I love each other. I'm going to teach you what it means. You see, people think in the church that it's all about good works. I don't care if you do every good work that you can ever imagine. It will never get you into the kingdom of God. It's by grace you get into the kingdom of God. It's by Jesus coming and saying, I love you, I'm going to die for you, accept what I've done for you, and you're going to get into the kingdom of God. No good works, nothing. Because what's going to happen when I get to the kingdom of God, I'm not going to boast about everything I did for God. I'm going to boast. The Father's going to say to me, Ron, what are you doing here? I'm going to say, I'm here because your son came into my world, opened my eyes that I could see, and I'm allowed into the kingdom of God now because I know that he suffered and died for me. You see, incarnational living is the ability to enter fully into another person's world. Isn't that what Jesus did? To enter into this world? When you go through things, do you want someone to be with you? You may be married. Your husband or your wife may not know everything that you're going through. But there is a God who says, I know everything that you're going through. Rhonda, would you stand up, please? Okay, would you sit down, please? You see, God knew. God knew she was going to stand up before she stood up. He says, every single word that I know it before it's on your mouth. Say hello. hello. See? See what I mean? Okay? And? I'm ready. Okay. What happens is the incarnation is the sense that God relates to us on this level. Now, a lot of people don't understand incarnational living, so I'm going to give you an example of it. And uh, I deliberately chose this example because I'm in the States. And I'm going to take you back to 1963. A lot of you were not born in 1963, but let me take you back to 1963 to the city of Birmingham, Alabama. Schools, restrooms, parks, drinking fountains, and buses were all racially segregated by law. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. has arrived in the city to lead a peaceful, nonviolent demonstration against racial injustice in the city and in the states. The city sheriff, however, has secured a court injunction, making the march illegal. Martin Luther Jr. knows the cost of marching, and yes, he marches, and then he's taken to jail. On Tuesday, April 16, 1963, he is given a copy of the Birmingham News. In, there, in that news, it contains a letter addressed to him from eight pastors and a rabbi from Birmingham. 
They argue that he should have been more patient. His response, a now famous part of American literature, is called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And part of it reads like this. I guess it's easy for those who've never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and your fathers at will, drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of over 20 million Negro brothers and sisters smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park, that has been advertised on TV, and you see tears welling up in her little eyes because she told that fun town is closed to colored people. And see the depressing clouds of failures begin in her little mental sky, and you begin to see her distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you're humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white man and colored. When your first name begins with the letter N and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are. And when your wife and your mother are never given the respected title of missus. And when you're harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living constantly a tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you're forever fighting a degrading sense of nobodiness, then you'll understand why we find it difficult to wait. And I know that was very uncomfortable to hear. But Dr. Luther, Dr. King's message was very clear. He was passionately seeking the white religious leaders from the city of Birmingham to walk in the shoes of an African-American. Dr. King understood that others must first remove their own shoes before they can understand what life was like in 1963. He was attempting to teach these religious leaders that incarnational love, and admittedly it's a difficult lesson for all of us to learn. St. Basil, the bishop of Caesarea in the 4th century, once wrote, Annunciations are frequent, but incarnations are rare. In other words, bold announcement of what God is doing and saying are common. People willing to walk in the humble way of Christ are much more difficult to find. Why? Because it's so costly. It is so costly to follow Jesus and to understand the way of suffering. So think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ entered into this world as God. He took on our flesh and blood. He was tempted in every way as we are, and without, but without, without sin. God knew no other way to convince us of his love than by entering into this world physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God took on our skin, our flesh, our bones. His blood ran through his veins. And I don't know about you, but that shocks me. That shocks me. You know, 
Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he said to them, our attitude should be the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, in other words, being equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and made himself nothing. Absolutely nothing. How can I imagine it? The only way I can imagine it, I love these robes. I really do. I think they're really wonderful. But imagine Jesus sitting in heaven in his throne, and his father says, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go and to redeem my people. He would come and he would take those robes off, and he would leave them on his throne. And they'd be there for the 33 years that he was gone. And probably day after day, the father looked at those robes. Because he knew when his son come back, his son would never be the same. Because when he went back, he bore in his hands and in his feet and in his side the wounds that earth has given him. That's what happened. And there he sits, the throne is sitting there. And he leaves that there and says, I must go and redeem my people. Father, I'm going to do this. What does it look like when God stripped himself of his power? Have he emptied himself? I can't imagine it. I can't imagine God doing that. I really can't. You see, God did something that we cannot imagine. When I, for example, I come to church and I wear this collar, right? When I take my collar off, do I stop being a priest? Do I stop being a pastor? Do I stop being a son of God? Do I stop being a servant of God? No, all I've done is just remove a sign from my office. I'm still, when you go off into the world, you're not in a church setting. Does that mean you no longer are Christian? Does that mean you no longer display Christ in your life and to your neighbors and your workmates? What does it mean? Well, it means to be incarnational living, means to come alongside, to, um, to be part of the community, to be a part of it. Uh, Jesus is... You know, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day it tells us in the book of Revelation that he is going to return. He's going to return and he's going to be riding on a white horse. And there are going to be crowns upon his head. And the crowns that are upon his head, he is the ruler of the nations. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And on his thigh and on his robe, he will wear a banner dipped with blood. And it will say, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he'll have a sword out of his mouth. And he will judge the nations of the earth. And he will say, I have come. I have come to do this. And when I look at it, I say, my goodness gracious, how could you do this, Jesus? How could you do this? You see, in heaven, he's always the King of kings. He's always the Lord of lords. But to us, he becomes that on earth. You see, no other religious figure could ever make that claim. Do you know why you Anglicans are sitting in a Methodist church? Because you stood for the gospel. You stood up for the truth of the gospel. Do you know why we met in a gymnasium for five years? Because we stood up for the truth of the gospel. Do you know why our pensions were frozen? Because we stood up for the truth of the gospel. Do you know why we lost our friends and people turned their backs on us? Because we stood up for the truth of the gospel. That's what you have done. That's what it means to be incarnational living saints, uh, to stand true. Because the thing about it is this, you see, Jesus is our mediator, Jesus is our advocate, and Jesus is the only one that has authority in the court of God. Buddha doesn't, 
Confucius doesn't. Mohammed doesn't. Jesus is the one that the Father recognizes in the court. He is the advocate. He is the mediator. When I get to heaven, I will say, yes, I'm here because of Jesus. No other reason am I here. He came to bridge that gap. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that should excite us. That should excite us that we have a God who not only is majestic and powerful, but a God who wears our skin. He understands he understand what it feels like when we're lost and we're lonely and we're forsaken and we're in pain. And when you watch the local news or you watch the international news, it tells you that we're living in very desperate times. You can't help but see that. I mean, the war in Syria has been going on now for four years. Four million people, four million people kicked out of their homes. And what can the United Nations do? Well, let's have a meeting. I mean, that's the bottom line. They can't do anything else. What is going to use chemical weapons on its people? We'll take away the chemical weapons. We won't take away the rest of the weapons. Okay? You look at the world situations and say, Father, we can't sort this out. We need you to come and sort this out. You see, many people are looking, looking for God with skin on. That's who they're looking for. They're looking for God, a God who can be touched, a God who can be embraced, a God who, how does it happen? God says, I'm going to let it happen through my church. This is the only plan I have. My church is the only plan. Diana, you may, this may be, I may be the only Christian, aside from this lady who brought you to church, whoever is going to meet you and be an example of Christ. Maybe the only person, the only person. You see, if Diane got sick, I'm not going to go to the hospital and say, Diane, I'm very sorry you're sick. God bless you. I'll say a prayer for you. No, no, I'm going to come to Diane. I'm going to hold her hands. I'm going to say, I'm really sorry what you're going through. Can I suffer with you? Though you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be with you. You're not alone. God will use this suffering. And I know it's hard to imagine what you're going through. But I don't understand it. I can't offer you an explanation. You can't understand it. But can you go through this with Christ? And that's what happens. You see, Christ, if you remember on Good Friday, you hear that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was willing to be forsaken for our sakes, for us, so that we would never have to taste that. We would never have to feel it. We would never have to know it. Everything that we go through, the Father has taken, gone through it with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, we haven't, as a church, always been great at displaying this. We haven't always been great at telling people about God's love. We haven't always been wonderful with being God with skin on. A little boy had proudly finished reading an essay, and he gave it to his mother to read. And his well-educated mother had her master's degree in English, she read his paper with, paper with a pen in hand. As she read, she corrected the grammar and the spelling, and she handed the paper back to the little boy. The little boy looked at the paper, and he noticed all the corrections, and he burst into tears, and he says to his mother, I didn't want you to fix it. I just wanted you to like it. God doesn't want you fixing one another. He just wants you to like each other. As a matter of fact, he wants you to love each other. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to love each other. There's nothing worse than trying, other people trying to fix each other. Are you two married? You're not married. <laughs> she says no, you say yes. <laughs> Michael, have a little confusion in your church. 
Are you married to each other? Yes. Okay. The truth of the matter is, there is nothing worse than Dan trying to fix Emily. There's nothing worse. He can't fix her. It's not possible. He's not meant to fix her. He's meant to love her. That's the truth. You're meant to love him. You cannot fix him. You can't change him. Only God can change your heart. You can't change people. You can change diapers. You can change your mind. You can change a bottle. But you can't change each other. I just want you to like me. That's all I want. That's all the little boy wants. I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus likes you. In fact, he loves you. He passionately loves you. Jesus, during his incarnation on earth, was fully God. He was in perfect communion with the Father. He was fully human, tasting death and suffering. You see, it would have been so much easier if Jesus had stayed home. Wouldn't it have? If he just stayed home, he wouldn't have had to do the suffering. His name would not have become a curse word in our world. He would not have been hurled all kinds of accusations, people picking up stones to stone him. It would have been so much easier to stay home. Well, let me tell you, my friends, it would have been much easier to stay in Victoria this weekend. It really would. It'd be much easier to stay there because the weather's beautiful. It's not cold. There's no snow on the ground. Why am I here? The gospel drives me here. The gospel drives me here. Not that you don't hear the gospel. But the gospel drives me here because God says, come, Leo needs to hear something fresh this morning. Diane needs to hear something fresh this morning. Dan needs to hear something different this morning. That's all it is. It's the gospel coming alive to you. You see, Jesus was misunderstood from day one. His own family, his own family didn't know what it was like. Have you ever been rejected by your family? Have your family ever turned their back on you? Jesus knows what it's like. His own family didn't believe who he was. You see, when, we, when Jesus chose to come into this world and to be the incarnate Son of God, he hung between two worlds, between heaven and earth. And when we do that, when we choose to incarnate ourselves, we hang between the world, our world and the world of another person. You see, when I sit beside those in hospital... I literally hang between two worlds. Between the world that is to come and the world that is now. And Jesus did the same thing. So you know what God said? Jesus, because you did this for me, I'm going to highly exalt you. I'm going to give you the name that is above every name. Every name that ever can be mentioned. Every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We're going to fall down in front of his face and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are King. You are my Master, and I'm here. What in the world am I going to do with eternity? And he's going to say, Ron, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Because he knows what it's like. And he knows you, and he loves you, and he cherishes you. And if you hear nothing else this morning, so God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. If you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.